Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of our Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. When was the last time you went to a drive-in movie theater? Can you remember? Maybe it was recently. In this year of social distancing, they're kind of making a comeback. Still, you don't see many. The last time I remember going to a drive-in was in college. They were on their way out even then, but there was an old one the next town over. Some friends and I heard that they were playing Terminator 2. Now, this movie was already 10 years old when I was in college, but my friends and I thought it would be a blast to see Arnold at the drive-in. So we showed up at sunset and got our spot. We were all watching from the back of a flatbed pickup with buckets of popcorn and the sound blaring out over the radio. It was then that they announced that it was a double feature. Before Terminator, they were going to show a different movie, Charlie's Angels 2, Full Throttle. Now, that's not the movie I came to see, but we weren't leaving. We'd already paid, and so we watched the uh, modern classic cinematic masterpiece that is Charlie's Angel 2, Full Throttle. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember anything about the plot of Charlie's Angels 2, but I remember the ending, and I remember it vividly. See, Lucy Liu, Drew Barrymore, and Cameron Diaz were on the top of a rooftop, and they were confronting the bad guy. And the bad guy pulls out a gun and shoots Cameron Diaz, and she falls to the ground. I remember it so clearly because this is the exact moment when the projector broke down at the movie theater. Cameron Diaz fell to the floor, and the screen went black. After a minute, we began honking our horns collectively as if to say, tell us what happened to Cameron Diaz. To this day, I don't know how the movie ends, and it bothers me. It doesn't bother me enough to watch Charlie's Angel 2 again, but it still bothers me. Now, 15 years later, 
Some days I'll be doing chores around the house and I'll stop and think, what happened to Cameron Diaz at the end of that movie? I have my guesses. Maybe she had a bulletproof vest or maybe she was just grazed by the bullet. Or maybe it was a decoy Cameron Diaz and one of the bad guy's henchmen would pull off a latex mask and reveal that he or she was the real Cameron Diaz all along. Or maybe, maybe she really died and Drew and Lucy have to avenge her. It's possible, to my knowledge, to never make a third movie. The point is, I'll never know. And it bothers me to this day. See, if I had just been given the ending, I would have quickly forgotten that this movie ever existed. But because I didn't get the ending, it stayed with me. We have trouble dealing with that kind of unresolved tension, don't we? There's something in our brains that needs to know what happens next. We need to know how the story ends. It's why we binge Netflix shows. See, we intend to watch one episode before bed, but something always happens in the last five minutes of the episode that makes your brain go crazy. Some unexpected twist, a loose thread is left dangling. You have to watch another episode, then another, then another, and pretty soon it's 2 a.m. and you have to get up and preach the next morning. Not that that's ever happened to me. It drives us crazy to not know the ending, doesn't it? We have to know what happens next. We just can't handle it when the projector breaks down and Cameron Diaz is left on the top of that rooftop. We need to close the loop so we can get on with our lives. I bring this up because our scripture reading this morning seems unfinished. It seems like the projector breaks down right at the end of Mark's gospel, right when we're about to get to the good part. See, the women have just heard that Jesus might be alive, and they are fleeing the empty tomb, amazed and afraid, and the projector breaks down. The lights come up, and everyone is sent home. We're left with an unfinished gospel. It's not a very satisfying ending, is it? leaves a lot of questions unanswered, a lot of threads dangling. The women go to the tomb and they discover that the stone has been rolled away. In the tomb they encounter a mysterious young man in a white robe. We don't know who or what he is. He says, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Then the women flee the tomb in terror. And the last words of Mark's Gospels are, They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now the Greek actually says, they said nothing to nobody. I love that. It's a double negative. They said nothing to nobody. But what happens next? Do the women ever get their courage and begin to proclaim the gospel? Do they tell the other disciples what they've seen? Do they tell Peter? Last we left Peter, he had denied Jesus three times. The rooster crowed twice and he broke down and wept. Peter is in need of forgiveness. Will he receive it? 
Is this man in white telling the truth? Is Jesus really risen? If so, what happens when they encounter him? What does he look like? What does he say? What does he tell them to do? Look, I'll bet all of you know the answer to these questions. But it's not because of the Gospel of Mark. You read about those things in the other Gospels. Mark leaves Cameron Diaz on the roof. He leaves Jesus Christ unaccounted for. Mark gives us an unfinished gospel. He leaves all the loose threads dangling, all the tension unresolved. He leaves us needing to know what happens next. And if this ending bothers you, you're not alone. The ending to Mark's gospel has bothered a lot of people for a long time. In fact, if you were following along in your Bibles as we read the scripture, when we got to verse 8, you probably encountered a little note that says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Here's what that means. For the first 200 years of its existence, Mark's gospel ended exactly the way we just read it with the women running scared from the tomb. It was only sometime in the third century that copies of the Gospel of Mark began showing up with verses after verse 8. And to make it even more confusing, different copies had different endings. Now, it's pretty clear what happened. Somewhere along the line, someone thought that the first ending was too ambiguous and decided to fix it. So they looked to the other Gospels for inspiration. How do you think Mark's original readers felt about this ending? We know at least two people didn't like it, Matthew and Luke. See, Bible scholars generally agree that Mark's gospel was written first and that Matthew and Luke used Mark's gospel as a basis for their own. That they added material that Mark had left out, like how Jesus was born, his important teachings, and what the heck happened after the empty tomb. It seems they were just as puzzled at Mark's ending as we are. I've often wondered if their need to resolve the tension drove them to write their own Gospels. Some scholars have theories about a lost ending to Mark's Gospel. Maybe it was lost in a fire, or maybe the last page fell out. Or maybe it was rushed into publication before Mark had a chance to finish it. He meant to write a sequel, but he never got to it. But the most likely explanation is that Mark's gospel ends exactly the way Mark wanted it to. That Mark meant for it to be unfinished. There was no mistake. The projector didn't break down. Mark leaves us hanging on purpose. That's what I think. I believe that Mark's gospel is left unfinished for a reason, that it ends exactly how he intended it to end. Let me show you something neat. If you turn back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, the opening verse reads, verse 1-1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, in ancient times, most books didn't have covers and titles. In fact, books 
were a relatively new technology. Before that, people mostly used scrolls, and scrolls didn't have covers or titles. Scrolls were referred to either by who wrote them or by their first couple of words. For example, the Hebrew name for Genesis is Bereshit, which is Hebrew for in the beginning. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. So, in the early days of books, like in the first century, the convention left over from scroll writing was to use the first line as the title. And writers would purposefully write first lines that were double as titles. So, look again at Mark's first line. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'll bet you anything that the title of Mark's Gospels for his first readers was not the Gospel according to Mark. Because Mark never names himself as the Gospel writer. He wanted to remain anonymous. I'll bet you anything they called it Archo Evangelion, the beginning of the good news. See, that opening line is meant to be read both ways, right? It's the beginning, as in the beginning of the story. We're going to meet John the Baptist, and we're going to meet Jesus for the first time. But it's also a title for the whole book. Mark's whole gospel is the beginning of the good news. Are you following me? Everything we've read and talked about since January, Jesus' teaching, his miracles, his acts of compassion, his death on the cross, all that is just the beginning of the good news. It's incomplete. It's unfinished. There is more yet to come. For better or worse, this morning we've been giving the Archo Evangelion, the beginning of the good news, the unfinished gospel. But why? Why end it that way? What was Mark trying to say and do by leaving us with this image of the women fleeing the tomb in terror? Maybe he wants the ending to irritate us. Maybe he wants this ambiguous ending to stick with us, to bother us, like Charlie's Angel 2 bothers me still all these years later. Maybe Mark knows that if he gives the ending and closes the loop, we'll be done with it. But if he leaves it open, we'll need to know more. We'll need to investigate for ourselves, possibly. But I think there's something else going on here, too. A story is told about a small church in Strasbourg, France. During World War II, a German bomb damaged the building. After the war, the congregation worked together to repair it. At the end, the last order of business was the trickiest. See, just outside the church, there was a statue of Jesus that had been chiseled by an artist centuries before. Now, the bombing had left the statue intact, except that a beam had fallen and knocked the hands clean off the statue. Now, the congregation tried reapplying the old hands, but they were broken in too many places. Then they tried asking a local sculptor to fashion new hands for the statue, but they just didn't look right. So what to do? Finally, 
someone in the congregation fashioned a plaque to go beneath the statue. It reads, Christ has no hands but your hands. See, like that statue, we are called to complete the gospel in our own lives. The gospel has no ending but your ending. The gospel isn't completed until it's complete in us. What began 2,000 years ago for us was just the beginning of the good news. It is completed in us and through us when we encounter the resurrected Christ. Mark's gospel challenges us to live out that ending. What happens when the disciples encounter the resurrected Jesus? Do they find boldness instead of fear? Do they find forgiveness instead of guilt? Do they find hope instead of despair? I could tell you the answer, and then you'd be done with it, ready to move on to the next thing. Or you could encounter the risen Christ yourself. You could look in his eyes and discover the good news. See, the good news isn't just an old, old story. It's a new, new song. One we write with our very lives. One of my favorite poems is by Walt Whitman. It's called, O oh Me, O oh Life. In it, the poet is thinking about modern society, how empty and routine and meaningless it all seems. The poem ends like this. The question, O oh me so sad recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? The answer is that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. See, for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, the gospel goes on and we may contribute a verse. This morning we gather on Easter Sunday desperately wanting to hear the good news proclaimed. But the good news is not simply a story of a thing that happened long ago. It's an invitation for us to play our parts and for each of us to write our own verse. It's an invitation to encounter the risen Christ here and now. You and I are unfinished gospels waiting to be transformed this is our story. Look, I didn't put on my best clothes this morning so we could come together and remember that once upon a time, a long time ago, Jesus rose from the grave that one time. The Christian confession isn't Christ rose. The Christian confession is that Christ is risen and he is Lord. It's Easter Sunday, and we have gathered together to listen to the good news proclaimed. We have gathered as they gathered. Their story is our story, too. See, like Mary and Mary, we are bound by fear. We are stricken with the terror that we aren't strong enough, beautiful enough, good enough, 
to be loved. We are paralyzed with self-doubt because we've been told too many times that we don't matter, that we aren't enough. But Jesus Christ died for you. He spread his arms on the cross to show just how valuable and loved you truly are. And that is just the beginning of the good news. Because now you can be in relationship with him. You can be embraced by his perfect love in which there is no fear. And you can do it because he lives. Like Peter, we are bound by shame and guilt. We know that we have betrayed the ones and the one we love the most. We have not done what is right. When the moment demanded it of us, we failed. And now we are faced with the truth that there is nothing we can do to undo what we have done. It clings to us forever. But Jesus died for your sin. With nail-pierced hands, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But that is just the beginning of the good news. Because now you can receive his grace and mercy. You can be transformed into who he has created you to be. And you can do it because he lives. See, like the disciples, we are bound by despair. We carry with us the uneasy feeling that we are cosmically and tragically alone. That nothing we do matters. That, as Macbeth said, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But Jesus died upon the cross for all humanity to show that we have purpose and meaning. But that's just the beginning of the good news. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. He has broken the power of sin and mortality forever. Oh grave, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Our risen Lord has battered down the very doors of hell and broken every chain and said to all those captive, You, you're coming with me. We only need respond. We only need recognize this is our story. We can face uncertain days because he lives. This morning we too can step out of fear and into boldness. We too can step out of sin and into holiness. We, too, can step out of death and despair and a hope in life, and we can do it because he lives. See, it's Easter Sunday, and we have emerged from our homes after a long winter of waiting, and we have gathered together to encounter the resurrected Christ, not like an empty tomb but where he promised to be, right here in our midst. It's Easter Sunday, and he's true to his word. Jesus is here in all his glory. We don't recognize him at first. His 
body is transformed somehow. But he speaks our name and looks in our eyes with this unjudging gaze of love and he breaks bread with nail-scarred hands. And then we know it's him. Jesus, the one who died for us, now alive in us. Brothers and sisters, this morning Jesus is speaking to each of us. He has an earth-shattering command for us that will change our lives forever. He has a beautiful message we were born to bear in the world, words of grace and life that will set us free. Listen. Jesus is speaking to us this morning. Hear his voice as he proclaims the good news. He says,